Very good. Hello, America. My name is I'm Yose Frimpong. I come to you usually every Thursday I do a show, but I have a special guest who I'm excited to have, uh, Miss Denise Long. She's a political thinker and writer, and you know she's got a PhD and a lot of letters, and she's very smart. And I, I kind of appreciate the quality of her mind, because if you like me, are a little bit disappointed in the Democratic Party you routinely vote for, maybe out of habit, maybe out of some principle, or maybe some out of some feeling that they're going to do well by Black people in these United States. You have been disappointed. And so I need someone to help me make sense of this disappointed, this, my disappointment, because I am, I am disappointed. And uh, so the, the overarching question for this conversation is going to be, does it make more sense to try to kind of strategize for the Democratic Party to actually take Black economic life seriously? And the degradation that America has heaped onto Black communities? Or does it make more sense to try to declan the GOP? And as it stands, we're not, we're not making any Oh, like inroads anywhere. So like, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm open to hearing like, we have a problem. I think uh, Miss Long and I will agree that we have a problem. We have a problem. We have black people have a problem in the United States. And the problem that black people have in the United States was caused by the United States. Right. <laughs> and uh, so where is, where can I get the energy from the political party that's supposed to make this make my community whole. Right. Right. So what's up? Yeah, well, thank you for that introduction. Let me just make sure my camera is not going to get all cattywampus here as we're having this conversation. Virtual life. We just adapt and roll with it. So thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. And I think it's a conversation that all Black Americans need to be having uh, at all levels, in their families, in their friend circles, and certainly with those who are politically active and activists in terms of strategizing. So uh, I think you're right to be disappointed in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party and the Independent Party and the Green Party. All parties have failed uh, Black America, but the Democrats in particular are held to account because we're their base, right? Um, and we've had their backs. Even uh, Joe uh, struggled to find the right name for him there, but I'll, I'll be nice. Joe Biden even yeah. said, right, he's there because Black women especially showed up for him as they have for the Democratic Party for quite some time. And there's been limited reciprocity and no specific reciprocity for the show up and vote every two to four years. So the social contract is broken and it needs to be radically adjusted. Well, the rest of, that's not fair. We did get a little bit of reciprocity with Obama. I know a lot of people got some very nice Christmas cards and a picture <laughs> of, of, of the, the, the black family. The, the, that, was, that was what we got, right? We gave them a few million votes and we got a Christmas card. And, and, and a mentoring program. And a mentoring program. And some, uh, and some hookworms and, and lead water and dilapidated right. houses and like poorly funded jobs. Yeah. Jobs did get. But we got a picture. We did get a postcard with a, with a black family. And that's what he promised. And that's what he delivered. And, and legitimately, yeah. and legitimately, you got representation, 
right? <laughs> representation is incredible. It's legit important. However, if you are representing me at the the like physical, I can see that you look like me. And that's important because of the, the trajectory of our country to have a black um, Kenyan American, to have the first Kenyan American uh, president. But were you representing the needs and interests of the diverse constituencies that make up the black population in the United States? Um, I would say he didn't. Um, I, and I think it's I, worse than that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think it's worse. I think he confused people. Mm, I think people say more about had, that. I think they had more clarity in 2007 about what it meant to be black in America than they did in 2017. Like, I think people were, I think he confused. And I think that's why he was so popular with white liberals. They like black people confused about what it meant to be black. <laughs> like, like they, uh, they, they, they like America confused about what it means to be black. And so I think his job was to confuse the nation about the degradation heaped upon black communities. And he, you know, I think he did a good job doing that. Like, hmm. yeah. now that's interesting. Of course, I want to probe what you think it means to be black and how yeah. he confused that issue. I don't disagree, but I want to make sure, just be clear about our perspectives on it. I think in many ways, black Americans, multi-generational black Americans. Yeah. So I always clarify for folks, I'm seventh yeah. gen, at least I got, I'm stuck in the early 1800s trying to figure <laughs> out if they were born in the late 17s, you know, all the things. Um, seventh gen, both sides of my family, descendants of slaves. So, you know, there's this we have this conversation, you and I are having this yeah. conversation about what it means to be black in America within the context of descendants of slaves and the rest of, of what is considered black America also figuring out actually, okay, so are you guys, what does it mean to be black in America? And are you saying I'm not black? And what does that mean? And what does that look like going forward? So we're in a midst and I don't know that the larger, well, I've talked to white Americans and certainly they don't really understand this larger narrative. And I think some black Americans, right? And I'm gonna use it in quotes because yeah. what does it mean? Uh, but the black population of America is also so, so confused about what that means. So we're resetting in some ways, once again, the identity boundaries around being black in America. So what do you what do you mean when you say what it means to be black in America? I actually think that this, uh, American descendants of slaves um, should set the narrative. And I think that's mm. important. So my dad came over from Ghana. He came over on a plane, whereas my mom is from South Carolina. She came over on a boat many mm. generations ago. Uh, there were people were kidnapped and enslaved, right? So mm. I've seen it kind of on both sides. And there's a difference between, you know, the, <laughs> the Black Americans who came over on planes after 1965 uh, and the Black Americans who were brought here and enslaved and degraded for generations. Mm. Um, and and there's the difference is going to be the level of cultural destitution and degradation and terrorism and like the response to that. Uh, mm. and, 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 and that's something that America has not ever made whole. Mm. Um, like the, the, the trauma and the terrorism that like still lives. I don't know for freedmen who like got all of their money stolen from the Freedmen's bank. Like there's still right. like, like my grandma kept all of her money in the King James Bible. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the outcome of that, right? People are reticent and don't trust institutions because hello. Yeah, so, <laughs> so what that means is like, so when people ask, why don't we trust institutions? They're like, we just need to be financially literate or whatever. Like you have to right. understand that institutions have like systematically 
every time we give them an inch, I've just slapped black people <laughs> like, mm. in ways that I find unbecoming. And <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. And so I, I want, so one thing that Obama, when I say Obama confused black people, confused America about what it means to be black is you can say like, well, he had a Republican Congress who didn't want to work with him. That's why he couldn't get any reparations talk going forth. But, but nobody puts a muzzle on the president, right? So he has a state of the union. He could have dedicated one whole state of the union. I don't think it's too much to ask for one whole state of a union just laying out the case for the national government to do something for black people. You got a you know, 20 million people audience, just dedicate from time to time. You're supposed to tell the people about the nation, dedicate mm -hmm. a state of the union to the case for black Americans, especially since we put you on top. Mm -hmm. We put you over Hillary Clinton and then we put you over the rest. And um, we didn't even get a state of the union, which wouldn't have cost any Republican votes. <laughs> like he didn't need Republican votes for that. Like he didn't need, like he could have clarified the argument. And I tell people there are two things you can do if you are in, not in power, but have an elective office. You can try to fight the fight for legislation, but if that's not going to happen, you can clarify the fight. Right. And he never clarified the fight for black people. I don't think he had a fight for reparations. I don't think Obama. So so I don't think Obama, based on, I think, his own words, really believed in reparations as a as a concept for descendants of slaves. And I also don't know that he believed it was possible to get it in the way of going through the legislature. And he, to your point, did not clarify the fight uh, because I don't think he had one. And I see so many black Americans, to be honest, doing the same thing. I hear people say things like, oh, it took a long time to get here. It's going to take a, well, it took, it's going to take a long time to get out. Well, it took us 400 years to get here. And I expect this to be resolved and reparations to start to be appropriated within my generation, within yes. my lifetime. And if we lead with this, it's going to take forever mentality. It's going to take forever because your energy is going to be focused on this forever goal. So you'll keep working toward it. No, I want to get it now. And that's the energy we have to bring to the thing. And so there are ways that, again, we're all confused and we've all adopted this familiarity of Black deprivation and struggle that we don't even realize when we're seeding it, watering it with our own words and our own framing around the time frames, around the people we have to work with. They're all racist and they ain't gonna listen to me. So there's some ways that we also need to revisit our narrative and our clarification of the fight. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could go with that. Well, so I, I have a big problem with black people who, who are pretending that black people as a people aren't broke. Like we live mm. in a capitalist nation and we don't have the community-wide capital. And the only black people who think we have the community-wide capital haven't actually seen how white capital moves. Like, like, and how much and, grows and like. Right, and the nature of that. Wasn't it, yeah. wasn't it Chris Rock that said, if you really knew how rich, rich people are, <laughs> there would be riots in the streets. <laughs> like in communities uh, like where like yeah. whole people are rich and like rich cousins and like it's all the way down it's not just well my uncle did well right he doesn't take my calls that, like that's <laughs> not that's not it <laughs> if yeah. that's what you have you don't have it you have it when everybody you know has it 
Mm. And we don't have that because even if you're doing well, like there are cousins like you can't talk to because they'll hit you up. This is what happens with NBA players. Probably people, people be mm. like, why, why do NBA players go so broke? They have, yeah, because they're trying to lift up an entire block. And that's the government. <laughs> like, they can't do it on, an, on mm. one person's salary. Like you mm. can't, it doesn't matter what that salary is. You can't lift up a block. Well, and the other piece is that they also have people who uh, be taking their money. <laughs> All right, let's go. I mean, Rihanna wrote a whole song about how somebody need to come up off, like, was it $6 million that she knows of? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of Black folks have folks managing their money that really they shouldn't. But I, I understand the point that you are making. Um, yeah, and so with all of those things and with the Democrats continually leveraging the legacy of descendants of slaves to le legitimize everything they do, right? Everything they do is rooted in our actual history. And to me, it's so gross and commodified to take our history and turn it into your selling point for some other people's interest or some other interest group, identity group, just tells me the extent to which people disrespect what our folks went through. Like slavery, I mean, thinking about what they actually endure. Think about your day job and the people you have to put up with, right? At your day job, right? The way they say things, the way they behave. And think about having zero rights and people can do whatever they want to you because they want to, right? Besides the fact that they could sell you. But in terms of your lived experience in your day, if you are safe as a woman, right? Being in the field, right? If your child was safe from people who wanted to go alligator hunting, let's just call the thing what the thing is, right? Um, if your pregnant wife was safe or she gonna run into some folks who wanted to just play that little game that they played about cutting the baby out the belly and let's see who dies first, right? Um, to take that, to think that it's okay to take that legacy of 250 years of absolute inhumanity, degradation, and racial terror, lineage terror, right? As a specific group of people who endured that thing, right? To commodify that, you're a disgusting human being, actually. Yeah, and the Democrats do it, and they do it for their own benefit and, and not in a way that shares the power. They do it Ooh. with Black folks, but not in a way that actually shares the power Ooh. with Black communities. Yes, absolutely. So it's a, you know, I called it, I was on a, I, I called it a political booty call um, because essentially that's what it is, right? We want to get employed. So y'all show up because here's the other thing. And I know we're going to talk about this because the other option really wants to put you back in slavery, right? The other option is going to lynch you if you don't vote for me. I ain't going to do anything for you, but at least, right, I ain't them. I think we're done with that. We need to be absolutely done with that. I hope so. I hope so. I hope the fact that when Donald Trump was president, black people looked around and said, well, it's not that much better or worse for us. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, not, it, it, like, this guy was supposed to be the devil and it's not, I don't know, it's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, uh, I, I read an article about how like Trump's border rhetoric actually raised wages um, for black men in California. Mm. So you know and that is because and that's because he some people knew trump wasn't playing about using ice and uh border enforcement and interior enforcement 
And so some people bounced. There was another article, I can't remember where, and I can send it to you later if need be, where folks were talking about the fact that some people voluntarily exited who weren't here legally in the first place. And so the reason you see a lot of illegal immigration is because they want to hire them for cheaper and they don't have to meet the same standards of employment safety, of human resource management that they would with an American citizen and particularly a black American citizen because you ain't gonna be treating us just any kind of way in yeah. your in your organization we're gonna hold you to account and so when they're when the illegals are gone you're gonna hire the black people who are readily available to work for decent wages and for fair treatment that's the American way at this point right right and Allegedly. I like I I agree and I think until black people are made whole, like if 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 law like we're gonna get called xenophobic and all sorts of names. I don't really, and like my dad's an immigrant, like and I'll tell you, like when it comes to reparations, I don't need to be at the front of the line. Like get all the seventh generation people first. That's fine. Even if I don't get checked, it's fine because like my daughter's gonna date someone, and I want the person my daughter <laughs> dates to have parents with good jobs and like assets <laughs> so that's good for like me that's cool even if i don't get paid if the community's good i'm good because like it gives me a chance with because honestly so my wife is white right so the odds of me having black grandkids are, aren't huge considering that like my kids are going to have options and if black people are not made whole how many like available men are going to be there and like in the right kind of way. So like, let's be honest. Like, if I want great, if I want black great grandkids, um, like reparations needs to happen now, so that like their parents have jobs and assets, mm. so that like then my grandkids have options, right? So like, there are, there's a lot to be said for community wealth and community wholeness, and that black people are not whole. And right. if we want to actually like think about ourselves as a people. So there's an argument for reparations that's like, all right, so we owe black people something. But and we'll pay them something, that's fine. But um other than that, they're fine. And that's different from like, no, we black people will not be whole until they're paid what they owed. We are not okay as it stands. And there's this illusion that we're actually okay, but no, we're not okay. We're just kind of like I don't know, whatever not okay is, we're not okay. Mm. And we need to be made whole so that we can be okay. There's no like a little bit sick or a little bit pregnant. You're like, we're, we're like, mm. not, we're not whole now. So this idea that we'll give black people reparations, but it's not holding them back. Actually, it's not like you owe some rich guy money and you pay <laughs> them back because that's what you owe them. Right. No. You owe someone who needs that money. <laughs> and it's the money that the wealth that you've taken from yeah. them, right? So you've been holding it in your pocket and distributing it to other people. Right. And that, and our community has been Amazing. suffering and deprived and all of what that means um, because of that. And you know, you make a good point here about what does it mean to be whole and what are the costs um, for us not having the wealth that we should have had, right? So right. if we, Right. So if we assume, right, if we play the, the, the thought experiment of had our full reconstruction and the full implementation of our constitutional amendments been implemented in 1865, where would Black American descendants of slaves be today? 
and 2022. And I think if you look at the success, the economic and political, right, and social success that freed people, these are people who were slaves, right, and their children had made um, into the mid 1900s, so 1960s even, right? Um, you would see that they built wealth, come together, built cities that were destroyed because of economic envy and all the similar reasons. Somebody said, somebody whistled or looked at them or whatever. Um, you look at the Freedmen's Bank. You look at the way that Black wealth has been taken by people siphoning our money from um, uh, high interest rates, paying fees for things, paying tickets, getting arrested, losing your job, losing your apartment, your house because you're in jail, because you don't have the... So if you look at all of that stuff, I can, I would propose that we would be among the richest people in America. And I would say not just at the rate that white Americans are, but even more so. Think about compound interest since 1865. Um, the investments that we would have had, that we would be incredibly wealthy um, in a way that I don't think any other group would have been because we've been here and we've had the skills um, immediately after emancipation to accrue that wealth through business and through work and through just investment and co compound interest over time. Yeah, no, and what I mean, that's, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I, I agree. Keep going. No, that's fine. What yeah, that and I, I think what that translates to is the absence of that has translated into um, when you add mass incarceration onto it, where black folks get hauled off to jail. And I think 60 to 80 percent, depending on if you look at state level, national level, 60 to 80 percent of people who are in jail are there on an accusation. They're mostly <laughs> black people. Right. So they can't afford the bail and all of this kind of stuff. So there's that impact of how that destroys families, how that messes up economic um, stability, how that messes up employment opportunity, even some college funding. Um, and what all of that has translated into is people who are struggling to make ends meet. What that translates into is a different dating paradigm for black women. And, and I've said this before, I don't care who people date because most folks out here, I ain't for them and they ain't for me. So um, I think if you're raising your family to be pro-American, and when I say that all Americans, I'm thinking you care about the impact you and your kids and your circle of influence and concern has on your neighbor that you know and the one who you don't know and doesn't look like you, right? Um, so if you're doing that, we're good because like I said, you know, hey, it ain't my business, do your thing, but please raise your kids right, right, where <laughs> they are caring about other people. Um, but so it's been multiple impacts over time that just continue to corrode the socioeconomic and political stability of, of Black Americans. And I think people underestimate the impact that repairing approximately 80% of the Black American population could have on stabilizing cities, suburbs, and the rural area. I mean, it remakes the American South and our cities. Oh. Like every, like it's, it's America's unrecognizable with a reconstructed Black America. It's I'd like if yes. we were fully reconstructed in 1865, I think. Mm -hmm. Like I just don't know, America would be unrecognizable. 
yeah. in a good way for oh multiplied i think they yeah. said there was some research that came out um and they looked at the last 20 years from 2000 to 2020 and i think they said the cost of racism explicitly and discriminatory behaviors was in the trillions i think six trillion yeah. or thereabout and that's just the stuff that they could find you know black yeah. people go through stuff and we don't sue nobody we don't complain and it's yeah. stuff that other folks i mean it's stuff that you legit should have some redress for. So the, I think it's incalculable over the last generation of the cost of anti-Black racism um, and the cost of what descent, but freed people, those who were enslaved and emancipated and their descendants, the cost of what we provided to the country, the benefit, I think is almost incalculable. But I do, I do champion the six was it gazillion or is some number that I have to read in order to say right um, <laughs> <laughs> amount that um, was calculated in the Newsweek article where it was it calculated out to be 151 million. Um, you know, and that's just not for the pain and suffering, the allowing lynching to happen and all that kind of stuff, that's but true. for the labor, right, <laughs> uh, in and of itself. So. So, uh, so I do know, and I have talked, I've talked to people, I've talked to people who talk to people, you can talk to Republicans about reparations. Oh, absolutely. You can talk to Republicans about reparations. White Republicans will say, all right, well, how much you want? Right. And, uh, so and how you, are we going to do it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But you, they, all, they, the smart ones know that we owe them something. Right. <laughs> we, owe, we owe black freed people something. Right. So we could talk to them. The thing is about sharing power. The problem with being a black conservative is that you're going to have to convince white people that you can make black people whole in a way that won't affect their life. Mm. And I don't know if that's true. I just don't think, and I have a hard time lying to the whites. So like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's, I think they're going to have to change some of the things that they've gotten comfortable with <laughs> mm. um, in a way that they suspect they're going to have to change and they're actually going to have to change. If black people are made whole, a lot of aspects of white life from the way they like, no, just the, the conceptions of public power from uh, entitlements around even family, church, jobs, all the way up to politics. But for example, all right, so this... Uh, the critical race theory backlash, I suspect it's not um, it's not the kids, because I, I teach students and I know white kids. Kids are fine. They can take all the stuff. They can take history. It's the parents who don't want to have to deal with questions from their kids about me, mom, papa, and mm. where the money comes from and the inheritance and all of mm. that. So it's parents who feel like you're making my job as a parent harder because now my kid's coming home asking about redlining and asking about sundown towns and like why there are no black people in this neighborhood. And like, <laughs> I don't want to have to answer those questions. And mm -hmm. the parents who feel threatened, not so much the feeling of the kids. So, mm -hmm. but if you, if you want an argument through a, like a political process for reparations, it means we're going to have to educate people, but the GOP is not going to want to have to educate people that way. So that's you, know, yeah. you know, that's interesting. Um, 
I agree with you that it's uh, probably parents who are more experiencing the angst and children who perhaps are also kind of like, wait, what my, if this happened then, were my grandparents involved with this? You know, so yeah. And there might be children who have been educated to believe that the South has a legitimate legacy that is honorable, right? Um, and they may feel some kind of way about what they're experiencing and or they've heard their parents say something about it so they may complain. And it might feel kind of, depending on the child's age, they might get some pushback from Oh, hey. Being white. And, okay, oh, did I cut out audio-wise? You cut out for a little bit. They might get some pushback from what? From, from their peers about if this is what was happening and this is what was happening to Black people from white folk, then, you know, are, was your family a part of that? Are you like that? So there might be some of those things happening um, in schools. I leave room for that. Um, <laughs> and I think, and I think, that there are ways to your point that we are going to have to educate parents and the larger public about what all of this means. Um, and it doesn't mean we stop and then educate and wait for people to say, oh, okay, I get it now. I think we, we continue to do the thing, but we do it well. I mean, I'm a trainer for anti-racism implementation and things like that. And so I have seen trainers who show up with very much the y'all are white and racist and you need to stop being white and racist and teaching your kids to be white and racist. And it's just very aggressive. Those folks are always white and they're most often women um, who show up with that energy. That's not gonna build any kind of relationships and people aren't gonna listen to you because they're already defensive and kind of like shell shocked. It's, we don't, so part of white culture, and I say this only from as I've been told from my friends who are anti-racist and on that journey continually, is that part of their culture has been to not see race in the interest of not having race as a factor, right? To not talk about people's race, right? And so they haven't been equipped to actually have these conversations, no less like have their kids come home and tell them about what happened at school today. So there are some ways that we haven't implemented. I think the thing that we're talking about well, thoroughly, and involve the stakeholders who need to be involved in the right way. It definitely doesn't mean we stop having the conversation or we sign laws that allow parents to sue if they feel disquieted or uncomfortable about a conversation about race. That's just there crazy. Is no, there is no place from here to reparations that doesn't go through like some people feeling something like feeling bad about yes. something that America has done. Right. So yeah. this idea that like you can't teach history if some kids or some parents feel bad or uncomfortable with right. what's being taught. That's, uh, that's like, that's racist. <laughs> like, it's that's magical true. thinking. It's not realistic thinking at all. Yeah. It's how do you manage the discomfort and how do you build their capacity? Cause this thing is moving toward an equitable, more perfected union and reparations and talking about our history has to be a part of that because it is who we are. Yeah, that's how we get to be better at who we are. And, and, and hey, I wanted to, to say something about another point that you made earlier about talking to Republicans about reparations. So, you know, I wrote that three-point plan to unite America. Um, that's on my Medium page as well as my Twitter, but you can find it more readily on my Medium page. And in that plan, I talk about an all-Americans first agenda. 
Um, reparations is mentioned, immigration uh, reduction, both legal and illegal, is mentioned in there, several other things. But um, I have shared that with many Republicans, both those who are um, in some capacity of office and those who want to be elected. And they haven't said it to me where they are repulsed by this idea of mm. reparations. Mm. Um, and as a matter of fact, with the whole plan in terms of the Americanizing education and law enforcement married to law and order married to accountability and responsibility, they embrace those things. So I think when we lead with the idea of who they're, that they're not gonna support us and who they are in that they're never gonna listen, we miss the opportunity to dialogue with people who have the real power to say yes, when we allow other people to frame who Republicans are um, as a whole, because the reality is Republicans have political power too, whether it be your local uh, state or national level. And we do need to be in all the rooms, having all the conversations about what it is we need. And if it takes a person one, two, three, four, five times to understand it and get it, I'd rather they get it in, in this generation with this uh you know, in these conversations that we're having rather than us just writing it off and never having the conversation at all. No, I, I, I can support that. I can support that. So Democrats, when they talk about black issues, they always go to police. And I, I, I mm. resent that. I like, I resent, I hate it actually. I'll, I'll Me too. You I hate it. I hate it. They always, they go with black police. They go with police. And sometimes they go with police and then welfare. They never go to jobs. Right, like they never or go to business. Jobs. Well, sometimes I'll go to small businesses, but like it's not actually like building the quality of infrastructure so that black companies can secure contracts. It's never mm -hmm. with like secure contracts or um because assets, secure contracts, and jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Like 95% of people work for people uh, like mm -hmm. in America. Like, not everyone's a small business owner, or whatever. Like mm -hmm. most people work for other people, so black people need good jobs. It's not there's no shame in one thing I, I have a problem with and the and the black do for self rhetoric is the idea that well if you don't like your job working at amazon or starbucks or whatever or walmart <laughs> you could just open up your own business i'm like no no i i want one those jobs to be better because someone has to do mm. those jobs and two i want you know white people don't have their own businesses a lot of them work for other people they're 401ks and benefits and two weeks vacation and like you know high mm -hmm. five figure low six figure salaries i want black people to have those jobs and like readily available mm -hmm. so i don't want it the i don't want like the idea that either you work for 12 dollars an hour at fast food or you open up your own job no i just want like be <laughs> treated like a white employee because mm. <laughs> they get yeah. treated pretty well like i so uh, this idea that our only option if we don't want to open our own business and we don't have the capital to open our business or disposition or we want to do other things in our life is to work at like these crappy jobs is mm. like, is unfortunate and i don't think it's and i resent that the democrats don't lead with that about like how we just need to we just need to secure black people good jobs like that's that needs to be a priority good jobs good uh, fair wages and a good say in their working conditions and mm -hmm. like all because those jobs exist in america they just don't exist for us right and yeah yeah i love that and so i don't know that i often hear democrats lead with economic 
stability for black folk, uh, for black Americans. And that's a huge problem, right? I think- If you give us good jobs, the policing will take care of itself. Like, like if you mm. give us good jobs, talk to me after a, a generation of good jobs, mm. then we'll talk about policing. Because I think if you take, if you give us good jobs first, I feel like the, a lot of what you think of as crime will not like, because I know whole gangbangers and I know criminals and they don't have $80,000 a year jobs as mm. options, right? So you give mm. black people those kind of jobs and you give, if kids know that they can get that kind of job without kissing any white butt, of uh, they like they don't they don't stick up people like that's mm. yeah i definitely think that is true for so many and i think you look at cities like chicago and i know i always pick on chicago and again because it's not new york and it's not la right the biggest cities it's a midwestern like town that became a city i mean it's just it's a perfect <laughs> example um of things that could go right and things that could go wrong in America, American cities. But um, when you look at a place like that and you look at the unemployment for youth, and I say youth between, you know, 16 and like 30 years old, right? Mm. Um, And what do you expect in something like, in a situation like that? I think when you look at the, the research data from the National Bureau of Economic Research, I think it was, that came out with data a long time ago during Obama, now Obama's was the Civil Rights Commission, but Niebuhr came out with data, I think it was also during Obama's administration, that talked about the impact that illegal immigration has on on just your everyday blue collar worker. And what you found is that illegal immigrants are taking not just the 12 hour jobs, but they're taking factory jobs that pay 20 bucks an hour. Like where I'm from in Mississippi, for example, when Trump did that raid down there at those chicken, those poultry plants, those black people had been fired because illegals were brought in and then they were rehired because of Trump's enforcement uh, of our laws, right? And so okay. those are good paying jobs in the heart of Mississippi. Um, so your point about the, the economics of it is spot on. And I think there are some ways that Democrats need black America to be economically dependent on them because it justifies their existence. I, you know, I support reparations because it's a debt that is owed. We built the wealthiest country in the world and we have not directly benefited economically from what we put into it, hence the, the wealth gap being evidence of it, plus the other ways in which laws just tend to harm black people over and over again, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, just by straw, luck of the draw. Um, and so Democrats, I think, need us to be dependent. I support reparations because it's a debt that is owed. I support reparations because I believe it is essential to stabilizing our country because I truly feel that when you repair 80% of the black American population, repairing freedmen, descendants of slaves, projected as about 80% of the black population, you will, as you say, absolutely transform the political landscape, the, the, the law enforcement, legal stability, um, accountability landscape, the educational landscape um, of this country in a way that I think we have to do if we are going to continue to progress and excel and I think maintain our national character. As well. well, so it's a debt that it's owed. But I don't think people understand. Like, so on the way, you're in Chicago right now. Are you in Chicago right now? I am not. I'm in the St. Louis area. Oh, you're in St. Louis? Well, I'm sure St. Louis has a, like, on the west side of Chicago, it's not mm. pretty, right? So it's not right. great. Unlike, if you go, if you, anybody who is, 
toured the American South, the rural, rural black poverty is some of the most degrading thing you've ever seen. Actually, Gary, Indiana is not great. Like, <laughs> Gary, it's not like someplace I would want to go. Like rural black, like, and then the South, just a rural, you, you drive from, from New Orleans to Selma, like, and, and you just keep going up. It is not great for black people. And there are a no. lot of black people there. They're living in conditions that you have no idea. There's like a hundred years worth of deferred maintenance that we could put oh, black people sure. to work. Yeah, just do it. Like, what, I don't know, what, what town are you from in Mississippi? Uh, it's a town called Shelby. It's adjacent to Mound Bayou, Mississippi, which is a historically black town started by slaves. It was one of those things that you might call a sort of black Wall Street. Um, I grew up three miles from that two stoplight town in the middle of a cotton field on land that our family used to own. Um, it was a 10 roof shack, uh, no running water indoor. We had a, we had a, um, propane tank adjacent to the house and a hundred dollar outhouse in the back. Yeah. She's not very old people. I'm 49. <laughs> like, yeah. So like, this is like, she's talking about the eighties. Right. <laughs> like, 70s, 80s, this was life in the 70s and 80s like and it's not much better like we could do huge and, and this is nice weather too we could do if you the amount of productivity that's just lost because we haven't right. invested in our people is yep. ridiculous because it's nice weather if you build an infrastructure if, trust me i suspect the people in her town do not have very good internet they, right they, they do not they were on zoom for two years during school they did not learn <laughs> There was no like, <laughs> like, like we build an infrastructure in the black rural South. The amount of productivity that could come out of these areas is just right. ridiculous. Let's it's phenomenal. Clean up the water. And it's, it's not, and you know that it's not just Flint that has lead in the water. Anywhere in the South, anywhere there's a congregation of black people, check the water. And yeah, that doesn't have to be. Yeah, and part of that is because we moved into urban areas that used to be predominantly white, right? And there's also, and I say that because they're older areas, and there's also, like you say, deferred maintenance. And so there's that element to why these pipes that were perhaps not with, that clearly weren't without lead then, but now it's all leaching out. And so there are so many ways that if we invest in our own people, in the American people, we can transform our nation. But part of me, to be honest with you, ask the question, are people on the left and the right committed to a post-America way of living? Are there people on the left and the right who are interested in destroying our nation because of their globalist interests? I can't for the life of me think of any other reason that the president of the United States would allow what is happening at our southern border. And I would say we need to also pay attention to our borders overall, both land, air and sea, as to what is coming into our country. It's a derelict. Um, at first, I hesitated to speak about impeachment because it felt a little like aggressive. But as we see the two million some odd people who've had contact with border control and law enforcement at our border, how many people haven't? How many have evaded contact? 
right? Um, and what does that mean for who is in our country and our national stability, our national security, and our national sovereignty um, with those types of things? So are there people who want to destroy America and they're destroying us and our energy for it in order to, for that to be possible? So there is a segment, a large segment of the population on the, the left center, the, the, actually the whole left center, that is anti-politics, right? They don't want to have to answer national questions. Mm. So yeah, they have nothing invested in us being a nation. They just want kind of their suburb and cheap gardeners, right? Like, so there's nothing <laughs> really invested in them being a nation. As long as the nannies are cheap, and I have what I need and my money spans, who needs borders? Who needs like national projects or national responsibilities? Because <laughs> I'm a private, I've privatized my politics and I don't think we should an answer national questions. And the black question is a national question. It's an American question. So oh, if you don't believe that there is like a distinct, discrete entity called America that we're all just kind of flowing through <laughs> um, and you don't identify with like your responsibilities in taking care of Americans as a member of America, mm. then you're not going to feel called to address national problems. Mm. Well, what and I would say not, today. Well, the problem is going to be there's not going to be a dis, you're not going to draw a distinction between a seventh generation. Right. Um, descendant of slaves and like someone who actually just came here, who still has a house and family in, you know, Chiapas or wherever they came here to make money, to send money back home. Right. To their home and they still money. vote in their home country as well. <laughs> they still vote. And like, you're not going to say that, like, we should make a distinction when they come competing for the same job. Like, yeah. get, like if you don't actually believe in a nation, you're right. not going to make a distinction between those two applicants. Right. Um, Absolutely. Like duty to those people. Absolutely. So and you can be, like. yeah. And you can be a global citizen because our world is more connected than it. Well, our world is more easily connected than it has been in the past. Right. Yeah. And we're more intertwined economically all across the world than we were in the past. But you have to be rooted in a nation space, yeah, especially yeah. if you are the United States of America. The United States of America is not just any old country. It's the freaking United States, right? Yeah. And there's a unique history here. You know, and what you're saying reminds me of this reality. When we look at this very unique uh, amalgamated thing, right? This blended thing. And I mean that not in the like, um, you know, toss salad versus melting pot sense, but like our culture of the United States is a blending of things in such a unique way that is, I think, unprecedented in a way. Um, but if you don't believe in the nation state and our obligation to remain a sovereign, pretty much like independent, um, but taking care of each other nation state, you will miss the reality that there is no replacement 
for the people who we're talking about. There's no replacement for the 40 some odd million black folk and the descendants of slaves who make up 80% of that. There is no replacement for the multi-generational white Amer Americans who were the pilgrims who came over, who were uh, slaveholders, who were the framers of the constitution. There is no replacement for that. There is no replacement for other folks who came over here, right? And helped to contribute to this very unique thing that we call America. And if we just open up the floodgates, we don't take into account a measured, reasonable way, right, to take people in and Americanize them. Um, we will look back on this and I think realize that we threw out a diamond uh, when we did not need to. Right. Well, I like the fact that you said Americanize them because that's, that people don't, People don't like it when I talk like this, but I think more people need to talk like this. If you come to the United States, if you're not taught to respect black people, if you're not taught to understand the struggle and the debt owed to black people, then you're going to be taught to poop on black people. And that is what people are taught. That's a default. I was talking to an Ethiopian student a few years ago, and she said, yeah, so on, my, uh, on the flight over, we were showing a movie about how not to talk to American black people. <laughs> wow. And that was that was her Americanization. So if you understand, if you don't understand, if you don't have a counter-Americanization to that, just understand that America as it stands has a design on making recent immigrants anti-black, even the black recent immigrants anti-black. And that is a problem, right? So the question, and I, I mean, it's just kind of formulate, formulated this in my mind, and I think it might be helpful. Are we a whole people or are Black people an internal colony in America? You know, I'm glad you said that because something I was, I was trying to go there. Uh, my mind went there when you were speaking. I think it's, and where my mind went was Black people being taught to be anti-Black. And so in some way I get it, internal to America. But for folks who didn't see themselves as black before they came here, right? How do you come here hating? And, and the other piece of what I was thinking was also the ways in which these cultures that we're talking about, including African cultures, right? Um, and tribes also have anti-black American sentiment for various reasons. Um, but then you come here into the country that we built leverage the citizenship and civil rights that we were killed for in pursuit of um, the set-asides that we are supposed yes. to be getting as descendants yeah. of slaves. And you put on our blackness when you didn't think of yourself as black in your homeland and you don't really like the black like people. Well, you, gotta, you leave Issa Rae alone. Uh, well, all of them, <laughs> right? Cynthia Oriva, like all of them. Arivo, I guess is how you say her name. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. All of them. It's a, and so I think in many ways, yes, black is for, and it's, it's codified by, it's honored through the lived experience of descendants of slaves, but then everybody who codes like me physically can come over here and people use the word cosplay as me when they don't even like black Americans, right? And they weren't necessarily learned at first from white people. I guess some of their culture also talks about it because of media and other things. 
and they're not black until they get here. So it's very problematic. I think in some ways black is reserved for us as is African-American. Um, and when I use the word freedmen, I'm talking about people who are descendants of US slaves yeah. specifically. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I, 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 I think it's a problem and a cultural problem. We need to take it on as a cultural problem. And that's why taking on an Americanization project means mm. like actually making people responsible. Part of what it is to immigrate to the United States is to take on the debt of the nation. And if the debt Absolutely. of the nation means the internal debt to its black people, then, um, then yeah, then like that should be part of the education. And it should be part of the education and a central part. Let's face it, we would not be a more perfect union had it not been for the legacy of descendants of slaves. People can talk all they want about the Civil War was fought for state rights, states' rights to own slaves, yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly, and secure yeah. white supremacy. It's in their constitutions. Read it, yeah. <laughs> right? Read their own words. And yeah, you inherit the beauty of this legacy, the pains of this legacy, all the skeletons in the closet, and you inherit the debts because you also inherit the benefits. Anybody who's not a white man of good moral character, property owner, and all of the other bit, can thank descendants of slaves, free people for their yes. ability to have anything. And anyone <laughs> who is even could pass, right? The, the what is it? The, the uh, brown paper anything. bag test. <laughs> the brown paper bag test. If that uh, test were put against you today, you would be hung from a tree if it wasn't for our people. So how dare you come here and act like you don't owe us. This country owes us absolutely everything and everybody in it. To your point earlier, if it increases taxes a little bit for you to give me back my money that you have taken from me for 400 years, I'm sorry, I'll be reasonable at how much I demand from you every year, but you're gonna pay it. Um, for people who wanna immigrate here, should we tax them? And a reparations tax for the privilege of coming into the nation that we built and access to the citizenship and civil rights that we have fought to make this place a more perfect union so that people can benefit from? Absolutely. So pardon me if I am truly not that concerned if your taxes go up a little bit because you're paying me back the money that I am due, but you have been using all of this time. And just the idea that I should be overly concerned about the cost of a place that prints its own money and sends it by the millions to other nations and other interest groups. Yeah, we just gonna have to cut that check, literally. <laughs> Um, yeah. as well as the policy that secures and fully enforces and implements our citizenship and civil rights. This generation. This please generation. And, that is not too much to ask. Because without that, you have to understand, without that, we are not actually participating in America. We are building it for somebody else. And we yep. have built it for somebody else to participate. We build it for somebody else to have clean water and internet and infrastructure. Mm -hmm. and, like, and that is unfortunate. And that's I, I do feel like black people are an internal colony. Even in the mm. South, we have numbers, right? Yes. Like, like we are an internal colony. So, and we don't, we need to, we need to fight that fight to be made whole participants in America. So I saw, I first saw you on Rising. Uh, the okay. Show, and yeah. I, you know, I, I thought she was wonderful. So I invited her on <laughs> and I was right. She is. 
So we're going to do you, this again, you. hopefully. Awesome. Um, um, and, uh, you know, she was speaking to the truth. I was on Rising right after John Lewis died. Mm. I filmed a segment. I did not like uh, John Lewis. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I've got to see this. I, no, you can't. No? You can't. Because while Crystal and Saga, I think Crystal and Saga both wanted to play it, uh, the producer uh, killed it. Because I said, look, when, when Bill Clinton at John Lewis's funeral said, thank John Lewis for um, taking care of the more problematic blacks. Bill Wait, Clinton what? Right. Yeah, Bill Clinton at, at John Lewis's funeral said like, well, you know, for a while, it looked like people were gonna go with Stokely Carmichael, but then John Lewis came and he showed him the way, right? Mm. So, and I said like, yes, Bill Clinton, he's old enough that he doesn't have to lie. He was thanking John Lewis for doing John Lewis's job, which was controlling mouthy Negroes. And, mm. and I have a problem with that because I didn't like John Lewis because I felt like he took ownership of the civil rights movement and then sold it to the Clintons or sold it to whoever would give him a commemorative plate and, <laughs> uh, or like a nice banquet or whatever. And, uh, you know, because you can't sell what you don't own. So he had to take ownership of the whole thing. Hmm and sell it to like the worst part of the democratic party for the low low price of like a thank you card i don't know so um uh so i i said that after he died because that's the only time people are actually going to listen to me talk about john lewis i said that the day after he died on rising and usually i go on and say some i i said some provocative things when i was on um and they'd always air them so i just assumed they would air them but this was the one segment that they didn't air the one hmm. segment they didn't air was when I took out another black guy, like a, like a problematic one, because I found him a very problematic guy. All these black Democrats who say vote, 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 but don't ask for anything, I think right. they are all, they might as well be CIA agents. Like they might as well work with <laughs> like, it's, they, it's like pimps. They are problematic. They, they are really problematic, right? So if you're telling me to vote, 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 and my duty is to vote, but not ask for anything, you're just using me to legitimize like a quality of governance that's not doing me any favors. And I said that, and, you know, John Lewis was talking about all these other rights, but he was never talking about black people getting secure jobs. He was never talking about a federal job guarantee at $30 an hour for black people, mm. <laughs> like doing our own infrastructure work. Um, <laughs> like, like he could have been talking about that, but he wasn't talking about that when he was, I was talking about some LGBTQ stuff. Like, so like, I, like I, I, I needed him talking about getting money into black people's pockets for doing work. And getting us paid for the work we've already done. Right. And since he wasn't doing that, like, I wasn't particularly happy with John Lewis. I thought he was confusing people by saying that all black people should ask for is the right to vote. Because mm -hmm. that's nothing. Like, my, our, your vote doesn't do anything. If and we already have the right to vote. We've had the right, like we have the constitutional right to vote. Now, if we're talking about the federal government's right to oversee states that have a history of adding all this extra stuff to black people while exercising our right to vote, we can have that conversation, but we do have the right to vote. And I honestly think that many black Americans think that when they talk about this reauthorizing and voting rights are at stake, that they're talking about our actual constitutional right to vote. And that is not the case. And I don't think, I think they intentionally leave that confusing and muddled and unclear. A, because black folks are so very used to losing so many things in the United States. So why wouldn't we need 
a reauthorization of our, our, our right to vote, right? But it's guaranteed constitutionally. Um, I would love to hear, uh, I would have loved to hear your take on that. I think the, I think the political conversation has changed significantly in the last year, year and a half to two, right? Um, I can't remember, when did Lewis die? When did John Lewis die? Uh, was it 19 or 20? It was pandemic. Okay. I was in Tennessee, so yeah. 20, 20. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think 20. the. Five, yeah. Five yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think the political conversation has changed somewhat. And I think Black folks, I hope that the folks who are on the internet, who are active, are also sharing these conversations, these narratives, these talking points, this media with the folks who aren't on YouTube. You need to be sharing this with your grandmama and your auntie and your uncle them who aren't on YouTube, who aren't on Twitter, who aren't in these robust activist conversations because they need to realize that the conversation has changed as well. We're not just voting for the sake of voting. Who does that? We're voting to demand mm -hmm. something. And the other part of that, <laughs> and the other part of that is we can't just be talking to only the Democrats. They clearly don't, they either don't know what they're doing in order to satisfy the needs of Black America, or they don't care. And we don't talk to Republicans because we assume that they all don't care. And as I said before, when I share the three-point plan, when I share my other writings, when I go to party meetings, and for those who aren't familiar with me, I am a Republican, um, I don't, I get from people that they are very ready for the narrative to be changed and for that fringe of racist, you know, this white country and all that kind of stuff to be in its proper place, which is the fringe that is hopefully dwindling down, but does not have power. We make ourselves impotent when we only put our focus on Democrats who aren't doing anything for descendants of slaves and Black America broadly, when there are people on the right who are very interested in changing the narrative and working with Black Americans to build our country, to preserve our country, and to build something that we can give to our children and be and be proud of. So go shake hands with some Republicans, go to some Republican party meetings, Green Party meetings, Independent Party meetings. You need to be in the room. And I can share a personal story about that later, about the things that I pe think people the reasons we don't go to those spaces, I've experienced myself. So, yeah. So, we don't go to those spaces, but we vote for Democrats who don't do anything for us and don't really even promise anything for us. I think right. I, Biden famously, like, I, I don't even think I think he was proud of not promising anything for us, and Kamala Harris was proud of not promising anything for us. <sighs> Well, she was very passionate in her her twisted logic of, you know, I'm not going to do anything that only benefits Black Americans because if I help Black people, I help all people because I think I need to say this because I think if I help Black Americans by name, that white America is going to dislike me. And I think that I need to sell out because I'm afraid of the backlash. She did say all of that in one sentence. Hold on. Wait a minute. I, why, how did, I, wait, I don't have your uh, check your audio. I worry that I lost your audio. Did I lose my audio or? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, now I can hear you. We're back. Okay. 
I don't know what I don't know what I didn't say, but I basically talked about the idea that people on the Democratic side sell out because they think that white America needs to see black America hurting in order to feel like they are being well represented in American (laughs) politics. And at this point, I need politicians who have integrity and character and raise the narrative. No politician should be elected to office who can't envision taking care of their entire constituency, right? Um, and if you can't tell me how you gonna take care of urban Chicago and you know rural Cairo, Illinois, right? Then you shouldn't be you shouldn't be leading for that state. Like it's a, an, an incompetence that's not acceptable anymore. All right, so America's problem. I mean, the black problem is America's problem, the whole nation's problem. So I need every politician, every federal politician to like have a plan to deal with America's problem in the same way that the Ukraine or like whatever our foreign policy issue is going to be a national problem. That mm. not just in areas with black people, uh, with like Ukrainian immigrants, but like it's, it becomes everyone's problem. I need every federal politician to understand that this is America's problem. I'll, let me just, um, there's an article that came up and let me just see if this shows. Yeah, it says Selma, um, you know, a, still a city of slaves. So it's a great article. You can just put it in Google and find it. And it pretty much says that, you know, what happened when black people got the vote is, so they voted in a black mayor and when they voted in a black mayor, all the factory towns, le- all the factory owners left and 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 uh set up shop somewhere else so there are no jobs so pretty much selma's a dump right now and nobody <laughs> wants to admit it and that's not what you see in and 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 you know movie on selma everyone mm. is in like a suit and all that but like it's it's all it's not a place you want to be because <laughs> we haven't we gave them the vote and nothing else right we gave them the vote and nothing no real economic power we didn't actually invest in selma so now it's just like it's a city full shot through with black poverty but they can mm. vote, but it's right. not black poverty because, and I guess they're supposed to vote for whatever Democrat um, is running from that uh, district. But it's shot through with black poverty because the vote was never enough. If you don't have like real economic opportunity and real economic like just security, right? So, what is it like in a well-ordered world? We'd be paying people thirty dollars an hour to build Selma. Right mm-hmm. to get there's a hundred years of deferred maintenance in Selma, so we would be paying people from Selma <laughs> to mm-hmm. rebuild Selma, <clears throat> and like mm-hmm. as a thank you, right? But instead, we make a movie about how Selma was, and we don't, and we don't even mention the fact that it is a horrible place to live right now because it's just shot through with degradation and poverty. That's very, very intriguing. I think there's a call to action there for. Um, movie producers and others in media to tell the whole story, not just what it was, but what it is. What it uh, is. And, <clears throat> yeah, we have not overcame. Like Selma got worse. <laughs> like it's yeah. not, it's not, like it's it's really a, a not a great place to be. And it's just poverty. And I think there are some ways that we need to call out business owners who only, or even mostly support leadership that is white. I don't know who pulled out of Selma. I have, I will definitely read the article. Candy and furniture factories. Candy and furniture factories. So so if those places um, had the same sort of uh, business incentives that they had with the other leadership, 
and they had what they needed in order to maintain their business uh, success and operation. Um, was that the only reason that they left is because of is it the only factor that changed was the leadership and not necessarily any of those other things. And what does that and what does that mean? I think there are some ways that we need to really talk about also what does it mean to be a leader of a municipality? It's a huge job if you're going to do it well. And so what are the competencies? With only a little bit of power in the South because like mm. it's a huge job. You're negotiating contracts, but you still have to run to the state to get permission for things. Mm. And it's really, I don't know, different states, different cities are chartered different ways, mm-hmm. but it's a huge job. And I don't know, there's a guy, you know, trying to do it well in Jackson. Um, but you know, Jackson, you Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. You can't you can't make people, you can't make big businesses come and stay there. Right. Um, and so you have to just give away the store. Hmm. <laughs> um, well, and I think there are some ways that we need to um there is a value. There's yeah. a certain value that is that has to be present for us to ensure that America thrives internally. Yeah. And that the descendants of slaves and because when you look at Mississippi, Alabama, where there are so many black folk, right? Um, Those folks are more likely than not descendants of slaves by and large. There's a value that a national value that has to be present from the standpoint of business. So I'm not saying you come do business in Jackson or Selma out of charity but you do it because you know that you need to take care of the home front. And I think there are ways that we haven't as a people, like the American populace made demands on our companies to make sure we are taken care of first. And we have to do that. I'm sorry, I have great compassion and people will doubt this, but I do have compassion for people who do not live in the United States and have access to the things that we have access to. And at the same time, I recognize there are 7 billion people in this world and there is absolutely no way we can bring them all home here or even cycle them all through or even half of them, a tenth of them without causing great damage to our own selves and our infrastructure. No, no, we have authority and power in America, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are a sovereign nation. We could control internal America. I actually don't want to, I don't want, I don't, I don't want everyone cycling through and then going out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like right. I would like to build sovereign states. I would like functional sovereign states outside of America, but we have control and power. We can do things here. We can give the incentives, payroll incentives, whatever kind of incentives we need to like get major industry in the rural South and rebuild mm-hmm. the rural South. We, we actually can do that. And without, by using our sovereignty, by empowering ourselves and without invading other countries. So this idea right. that like, yeah. So I think we should just think of ourselves as a nation and we shouldn't, necessarily determine how every other nation lives right <laughs> as right. much but we can determine since it's us doing it we can determine how we live and we should and t- and like aggressively say that like we need to rebuild jackson we need to not just rebuild we need to like completely like innovate these right. southern towns 
um, to take care of both the deferred maintenance and the black people who suffered when they were cotton towns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We can do that. And we can do it in a way also that again is not charity. And I'm not opposed no, to charity. I, I, I wouldn't even call it, I wouldn't even call it charity to repair black America. Like y'all done <laughs> stole our stuff for 400 years. Like it's mostly like you paying me back for what you took. So let's not even call it charity. But um, we can also do this in a way that the rebuilding, because we need to as a country, we should not be dependent on foreign sources for our primary medicines Anything. for the materials that we need for clothing for you know so many things you can manufacture non-material non-essential or quasi-essential two three levels down stuff mm -hmm. but if a pandemic happens <laughs> right and everybody's sick and our stuff is stuck on your shore or in the ocean or you know on a loading dock somewhere how does that help us that's a level of dependency through this global that a globalist mindset has gotten us that we really need to do away with we can employ Americans by bringing a lot of our manufacturing base of our essentials back to America. And to your point, we have in infrastructure. Bridges are falling down in America. That's crazy. We need to fix that problem and we can employ our own people to do it. But part of the problem, and you know this, is that they end up importing other people and they're mostly Hispanics and Latinos to do those jobs. Yeah. Roy Beck in his book, Back of the Hiring Line, tells this really sad, capital S, sad story about how um, Black men in um, NOLA were uh, fired because the contractor who won the job sourced the workers from Mexico. And so these Black men who were originally hired to build their, rebuild their communities were fired and the Mexicans came in and everybody knew that it was happening like that. So um, if we're going to build it, it needs to be our American workers who are doing it first and foremost. Yeah. I, so if you were going to start talking to Republicans about mm -hmm. reparations, Marlon Scott asked a, a question, which ones would you start with? From a naming perspective, yeah. um, that's a really good question. I think I would start with Tim Scott, uh, who I've already made some mention of. Why Tim? Because he's Tim Scott. He is also, to my knowledge, a descendant of slaves. He is from South Carolina, which is the sort of bust of where the thing happens. Tim has been in the news stating that well, people have interpreted that he doesn't support reparations because of that CNN article where he says it's a non-starter. And the crux of that was how would we ever identify who would actually get repaired? Well, there's been a lot of scholarship that's happened mm -hmm. since he made that statement. Sandy Darity's book being one, other work that is happening, the work happening with AB Assembly Bill 3121 out in California. So I would definitely circle back to Tim about that. Um, people think Tim is a sellout. I think Tim is kind of smart in many, not kind of smart, he's smart in many ways. And he has pushed for things that Democrats um, have hushed him about because he's not he, he ain't carrying the right letter. So I definitely circle to Tim. Um, I would talk to Donald Trump. Uh, president Trump, uh, when he was president, 
made it very clear to what he thought was a room of descendants of slaves. So he was confused as well, made it very clear you built this. He has made statements several times about, about um, his support for African-Americans. And I know his language is <laughs> not on point sometimes. I would coach him a little differently with what he would say. Um, and at the same time, I would, I would talk to him because he has influence in the party and I would couch it in the sense of reparations for lineage, which is a specific group of multi-generational black Americans um, and the reasons we would do that. Um, I think I, those are the two that come top of mind for me at the moment uh, to talk with, but I would also share your reparations agenda plan conceptualizations the rationale for it at your local level as well as at your state level so a lot of the work that that i do uh in advocacy and meetings and talking to people is especially state level and national but also even locally i've shared it with folks in the republican party um and they are recognizing this distinction between descendants of slaves and the larger primarily immigrant population uh, and what it could mean to repair to repair black people okay there's a way and there's a way if we start taking and part of this is taking the american identity seriously you don't do this if you don't think of the nation as a nation right. as an american people and as black people descendants of slaves who built and suffered and were terrorized by this nation and need to be made whole by this nation. Yeah, um, absolutely. So and the, having, globalist, the globalist mindset will never get to reparations. Nope, nor will the socialist mindset, right? Because the socialists feel like everything that is a resource belongs to everybody. So they're gonna take your reparations and give it to everybody, right? Um, and that will only increase the, the wealth uh, gap because it doesn't address the anti-Black American-ness that also fuels, right? That fuels the wealth gap and the taking of wealth and the harm that people experience in relationships with individuals and with, with institutions. And so to, to Marlon's other point, I would say you talk with reparation, you talk with everybody about reparations, even those who say they ain't interested in it. Right. Yeah. You can tell me no, but this is the thing that we're this train is headed toward <laughs> reparations. And I would be nice if you were on board for building up the uh, security, stability, economic stability of America by doing what is appropriate and has been deferred for descendants of slaves. So we're going to talk about it with everybody. I do. Um, everybody. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's fine. And. <clears throat> Look, people, there is no anti-racism that doesn't involve reparations. Like people think that, well, we can do all of these other things. You do all of the other things, black babies are still gonna be poor in two generations, right? Like there is no other way if you're serious about making black people whole. So when, <clears throat> I'll tell my audience right now. First of all, if you support me and you're my audience, go ahead and go over to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month. And I'll keep doing this and try to get like you know good people that we can talk with. But also, give up the notion that there is some other way to go forward that doesn't include reparations. Because if you're serious about Black community uplift at any level it goes through reparations. 
And we yeah. need to talk about that. And we need and we need to talk about the democratic conditions that will enable reparations, which means we need to get the quality of arguments in the discourse and in the schools. And that means we need to train an infrastructure that trains the teachers who then like casually teach the schools and can all like put forth this argument because we need to actually build the American identity and the American culture to one that understands who's being owed and who's being like, like, like black people are such an internal colony. We've mm. okay with being an internal colony. We've stopped even asking to be made whole. And that's what's mm. sad. I don't know if we don't know that other people have things that work <laughs> the first In time. They, they, yeah. We don't, we simply don't know what it is to be surrounded by investment capital. Like, like disposable stuff, disposable income, like businesses right. where you can put $20,000 in, you can hit up people for $20,000, have that thing fail, and then hit them up a few months later, and they're not going <laughs> to resent you. Right. Like, we right. don't even know what that is. No, but I, we don't. But We're very unfamiliar. And we've just become used to this idea that this is our life. This idea of struggle and constant fight is part of the black american trajectory it has been a part of our history and life is not a you know life can be a song but it ain't easy right um but we've adapted struggle in a way that we've wrapped ourselves in it in a sense of honor and i think we need to lose this idea that we can continue to suffer. Or what I also hear people say is, oh, what's the worst that can happen? Please don't ever ask that way. They've already shown us their worst. Actually, maybe your grandmama and your great grandpapa saw that, but mm -hmm. it can get worse. It and the people worse. they're replacing you with, right? The people who are flooding our borders haven't gone through a civil rights uh, struggle. They don't come from a space where black people are treated equally in their country or even quasi right close to it in their country. And so there are so many people who think that once the country becomes brown enough and white Americans voice is marginalized enough, then everything's going to be no, what you see is that people tend to take care of their own. And a lot of people who are Hispanics who have become political power brokers prioritize immigration open borders, as well as unfettered legal immigration, however many people want to come. Black Americans need to own this country in the sense that really honor and own the fact that your people built the wealthiest nation in the world and you haven't benefited on par to what you have put in. Your equity is built up and it hasn't been paid and you need to claim that you have the moral authority you have the heritage and the legacy your the bones and blood of our people is in this soil in a way that it isn't for anybody else when you look at the united states of america as a sovereign nation once we own that i think it frees us hopefully from this idea that we're supposed to be suffering because the reality is we should be among the most comfortable people in this country if not the world considering the united states place in the world stage that's right that's right and anything short of that is less than whole and so many of our problems are rooted in that. So it's not just idle money. It's not just paying the United States, paying us what they owe because they owe it. It's also, we can't be who we're supposed to be until this debt's paid, right? Like, so like 
Our families won't be what our families are supposed to be. Our businesses won't be what our business is supposed to be. Our political leadership won't be what our political mm -hmm. leadership is supposed to be. None of our life is supposed, like, is supposed, Black people who are watching this, your life isn't supposed to be how you're living it right now. Like, it's not. Say that it's again. It's supposed to be better. Right. <laughs> you're supposed to be able like substantially better and not just your black life you should be able you should be able to walk outside of your spot wherever you are and see black people thriving and not posing not on credit but with cash like, like not <laughs> right. posing there is a difference <laughs> there is a difference like people you should you should be able to like walk outside and see black people thriving not as anomalies but that's what it should be to be black right and yep. until like yeah that's and that sounds idealistic to people like, and and in a way there is an ideal there but you think that white americans live that life now right and so oh, it's not it. unforeseen right in many in many ways and the other piece i would say about that is you know to the point about talking to republicans and just overall you cannot be patriotic without caring about descendants of slaves like literally the words that poetry that beauty of our declaration of independence and our constitution and all of that is only made manifest through the trajectory the history the fights the wins the battles by and over descendants of slaves both in terms of the civil war and in terms of the civil rights movement. And so you can't call yourself patriotic if you aren't thinking, how do we take care of uh, America and Americans and particularly descendants of slaves who are the reason really from a trajectory and a historical perspective right. that our nation is um, more perfected than it was in 1776. Yeah, no, that's a comment that doesn't get made enough. What makes America special is the contribution of black people not just the work but the moral contribution the ethical mm. contribution and the culture and like what makes america special is black people what black people have done for this nation in order to improve this nation and not yep. just like by building roads and 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 the economy but by and the capital and the railroads but yeah <laughs> by teaching america what America ought to be and making it and dying for it to be Oof. better than it was prior. Like we introduced America to itself um, and through us. Through us, we introduced America to itself in a powerful way. Mm -hmm. And and without black people doing that, America would degrade itself mm -hmm. in a way that it even like even worse than it does today, it would continue to degrade itself. So we right. saved America from itself by making it better than it was through itself. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah but, for sure. Thank you for your time. <laughs> um, I've enjoyed the conversation very much. Good, good. All right, so where can people, can, where can people find you? Or what, what do you yeah. want people to do? So uh, let's see, I of course write for Newsweek. So Pamela Denise Long at Newsweek, you can read the pieces that I wrote. I just published one last week about the three things black Americans will need to vote Republicans. Take a look at that. Um, you can find me on Medium. And um, that is PamelaDeniseLong.Medium.com. My latest piece there is called Why Black Lives Matter Was Doomed to Fail. So take a look at that, read that, clap it up. 
You can clap up to 50 times as I understand it and follow. And then you can also find me on Twitter where I'm just, you know, doing a number of things. Uh, that's at P, my first initial, Denise Long. So P Denise Long on Twitter. Okay, very good. Thank you for your time. And thank you. Uh, people, uh, thank you. Uh, everyone else, I'll see you on Thursday with a different show. Peace.